Hello again, our civically engaged friend. It's good to have you with us. We appreciate you listening, especially our Patreon supporters, Diana, Nathan, and Rachel. Thank you for helping to keep this show going. Having people who believe in democracy and are willing to spend 30 minutes educating themselves every week means a lot right now. But are you wondering what you could do to expand your engagement? Join the Future Hindsight Civics Club. Go visit patreon.com backslash futurehindsight to sign up today. For the price of one barista-made latte a month, you'll get early access to our episodes, ad-free, and hear unique Civics Club content from our guests on how to get even more engaged. If you sign up now, We'll even send you a free gift. Go to patreon.com backslash future hindsight right now and join the civics club. Now's the time. November is coming. Welcome to Future Hindsight. I'm your host, Mila Atmos. Each week, I speak with citizen changemakers who spark civic engagement in our society. Our guest today is Drew Cromer. He built a Democratic Party precinct in Davidson, North Carolina, recently served as the vice chair of the National Council of College Democrats, and is currently a PLEO delegate for Vice President Biden. This is the perfect follow-up to last week's episode with Eitan Hirsch, not only because this is a real how-to episode, on building political power within the Democratic Party, but also because Eitan talks about Drew as one of the seven amazing organizers and activists in his interview. And one of the things that we try to do with the uh, statewide college Democrats was show our worth to the state party and other Democratic organizations so that they could see us for the value that we could add and would partner in us in investing in college students and investing in their potential. Leading and growing an organization isn't just about recruiting people and getting them involved in what you're doing. It's also about getting other entities, whether they're state parties or power brokers or campaigns, to take you seriously. Because at the end of the day, you have to create that political power to get other people to buy into what you're doing so that you can grow it even larger. We discuss the long-term value in investing in young people and grooming them to succeed within a party system, the relatively low barrier to building political power, and the enduring benefits of simply showing up. Let's listen in. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. You recently finished your term as a vice chair of the National Council of College Democrats. How did you get into politics in college? I saw College Democrats as an opportunity to go beyond what it had previously been you know, envisioned for. So I eventually became involved in my, my chapter at my school after a few months at Davidson. And that led me to get involved at the state level within the College Democrats at North Carolina and get involved in kind of helping other chapters uh, do some of the things that my chapter had been successful in accomplishing. For example, helping the state party realize uh, the potential that the College Democrats had to help out campaigns that were in their area, support candidates or issues, educate people within the party about what college students had to offer. Because I think historically, students are coming and going every four years. And for people within the party, that wasn't a constituency that was necessarily worth investing in long-term. If you can't have a volunteer work for you consistently for several years, 
it might not be worth investing in them and recruiting them and getting them active, particularly if they're going to leave the state and go, you know, to a different home uh, after they graduate. And one of the things that we try to do with the uh, statewide college Democrats was show our worth to the state party and other democratic organizations so that they could see us for the value that we could add and would partner in us in investing in college students and investing in their potential. Leading and growing an organization isn't just about recruiting people and getting them involved in what you're doing. It's also about getting other entities, whether they're state parties or power brokers or campaigns to take you seriously, because at the end of the day, you have to create that political power to get other people to buy into what you're doing so that you can grow it even larger. I, I think that there's a pattern there of younger people not necessarily being seen as, as assets that can give a whole lot to the greater political efforts that are being done across the country. I want to ask you how you first became involved with College Democrats at Davidson specifically and how you then tied in the local community. So essentially, I started a local town precinct. It was a model that existed. I found it in the rules of our state party that there are 2,704 precincts across the state of North Carolina, and our precinct was unorganized. It, it didn't exist. In political organizing language, an unorganized precinct is essentially a polling location that doesn't have an active party presence. And our precinct wasn't officially recognized as being organized, so all it took was getting five people together who were Democrats registered in that precinct, get five of them together at a meeting anywhere you want, and elect a chair and a vice chair and a treasurer slash secretary, and then have two committee members, as they call them, and you now have an organized precinct. And as soon as you have an organized precinct, uh, your chair and vice chair immediately become members of what we call the CEC, or the County Executive Committee, which then allows you to vote on who represents the county at the state level. And then once you're a representative from the county to the state level, you can now become a representative from the state level to the national level, which we would call a DNC member. I think a lot of people will be familiar with a superdelegate to the national convention. Well, many of the superdelegates are those representatives from the state levels. And um, for us, we were able to, to use that system that was already there, that foundational element to the grassroots system by which to justify our existence within the town, but also get a voice at the state and county level and also get access to resources like the Democratic voting databases, uh, which is called Vote Builder. As soon as you get access to some of those tools, you can very quickly identify who the Democrats are in your community. For us, we were able to figure out which thousands of people within the town were Democrats, Republicans, or unaffiliated, who had a higher propensity to vote, who had a lower propensity to vote, but maybe they vote every two years for the presidential or uh, congressional races, but they don't vote in your local town election. Well, that's a voter that we can probably convince pretty easily that they should also vote in their town election because they already vote every two years. So once you identify some of those people and you can see some of the trends in their voting history, it's a lot easier for us to take that data and be armed to go out to those doors. So now when our volunteers are canvassing a community, a neighborhood, they know whose door they're showing up at. They know the name, they know how long that person's been voting, and they, they, they know that person's party affiliation. Thank you for explaining it so thoroughly. I'm gobsmacked how, in fact, it is uh, relatively straightforward. But... You know, the average person doesn't do what you do, which is to look at the rules. What prompted you to do that? I am now about to begin my second year of law school at UNC Chapel Hill. So I think I might have already had a little bit of propensity for uh, enjoying reading the rules and understanding them. But I, I will say the, the document's 30 or 40 pages long. It's all of two pages that discuss what it takes to be a precinct. 
If you read those two pages, that's everything you need to know. And the vast majority of people who even organize precincts haven't even read the thing. I think for a lot of people, it, the barrier is usually within themselves. They, they might not think that they have the ability to do it or they're afraid of failure or any one of those things that, that causes them to not take the step of, of starting something. Or maybe they just don't know it exists. And that's a problem that we're hopefully going to resolve by getting the message out there and, and encouraging others uh, to do something similar. Well, I hope that you really spread the word far and wide. So I have a question about the precinct. Was there also a local precinct that was not part of Davidson College in the town that was maybe competing with you? Or did you join forces and build something bigger and newer? I, I think there was definitely some pushback to what we were doing. There were other people within the community who saw themselves as leaders within the political organizations, but nobody had ever taken the step of creating a precinct organization. And while that mechanism and that system w was there and, and wasn't being used, I think there was a perception amongst some of the people within the community that it was a dated system, that it, it wasn't worth using. And for us, we saw it as, well, there's actual a structure here that gives us access to the, the county party, to the congressional district party, to the state party. And we wanted that access. And I, I think there was also an element there of, we were all pretty young. At, at the time, it was hard as a young person to just show my worth, I guess, and, and why someone should listen to some of my ideas about what we could accomplish. And having that structure, having that political committee, that gave us validation. That gave us the ability to walk in a room and say, here's who we are and here's what we want to do. Will you join us? And I think that gave us a lot. So I think the competition definitely heated up as soon as our organization began to develop some actual political power within the community. When we started to have a noticeable impact on local political elections, I think there's just a natural uh, hostility that is developed within people who might be doing something similar within your community. There's a tendency for people to have a zero-sum game mentality about it, thinking, oh, well, if they're organizing, if they're accomplishing something, then that somehow takes away from my organizing and my accomplishing, as if we can't all be successful. When in fact, we found that everybody grew as a result and, and everybody is, is able to be accomplished and, and set out achievements that, that, that we all wanted to do. So. It's so true. We encounter this everywhere that people think it's a zero-sum game. And in fact, I think this is part of the problem with political parties, meaning Democrats and Republicans. I think they're on both sides. People believe that if the other person wins, then we're definitely all losers. But this doesn't mean that at all. Like, I think the pie just couldn't get bigger. And we're thinking about it all the wrong ways. But I have a question about the things that you wanted to achieve. What was really the goal of knocking on doors? What did you envision in the short term? We kind of saw ourselves being the precinct that was the majority of the town, having a role not only in the elections that we talk about in the newspapers and on social media, but we also had an opportunity since we became the de facto political organization for our town, we wanted to have a say in our town election as well. and. Our town is beneath the threshold by which the candidates who are running for, say, town board or mayor would have their party affiliation next to their name on the ballot. And for us, that introduced a really unique situation where we could go look up someone's party affiliation on the state databases or in our vote builder system. If we didn't know them personally and couldn't just ask them what the party affiliation was, we could go look it up. And so we had a unique opportunity to try and create some political change within our community 
long before we got to the next election where we would actually have people on the ballot who you know identified with their party affiliation a lot of politics starts at the local level and it, and it flows up to the national level and i think a lot of people might not recognize at the outset the importance of the local elected officials and the local government that they have they don't tend to get as much press coverage particularly in, in a town like davidson where we had just lost our newspaper a few years before and didn't really have a good way for people to be informed about what was going on within the community. And the, the problem with that is that everything flows up. So the Republicans in North Carolina have been very successful for a very, very long time at finding a candidate that they want to field in an election down the road and getting them to go run for local town boards, town commissioner seats. And then in that position, they immediately get validated to go run for higher office. So the Republicans did a great job in North Carolina of creating these springboards, these, these positions where they could prepare the successor to whomever it was in a seat, um, a level above, who was eventually going to move up. And a great example is, is what happened in Davidson. There's a guy named Tom Tillis, who is now the U.S. Senator from North Carolina, who I'm sure many people are familiar with. He was a town commissioner in the town of Cornelius, which is right next to Davidson. And... He was there for a couple of years and then he became a state house representative and he was there for a couple of years. And, and from that state house position, he was able to, to jump all the way up to the United States Senate. And there was always someone who was in the pipe right behind him. They have a pipeline of people and they stage them in the local levels and they work their way up. And when we started to see this pattern, we immediately saw the, the genius behind it. And what that meant for us was even if Republicans were getting elected at the national level and at the state level, one way that we could curtail the successful candidates that they were able to stage there was to fight them at the local level. If you can prevent the next Tom Tillis from getting to the United States Senate by winning an extra 20 votes in a town election that's going to be decided by 500 people, then you can block that person from having the validity that elected position in that town is going to give them to run for the next level. And for us, the precinct got started at just the right time. Right after 2016, the next election in our town was going to be in 2017, and it was going to be a town election. And so we had an opportunity right out of the gate to increase the amount of people who were voting in those town elections, to take the town board and help it shift from a board that kind of had some hidden Republicans on it who might not admit their affiliation, but were kind of being staged, to a board that's almost entirely Democrat. And we could feel a whole lot more comfortable that the town of Davidson's local government wasn't going to be the next springboard for the next Tom Tillis. Hi, everyone. Our episode this week is brought to you by The Jordan Harbinger Show. If you're a regular listener, you'll know that Jordan and his wonderful team have sponsored our recent episodes. In fact, he's our main sponsor for this whole season. We're so happy he's decided to support independent podcasts like ours. We love The Jordan Harbinger Show because it captures the essence of what I think a good podcast should be. Fascinating guests, insightful lines of questioning, and episodes that teach you something new. It's one of those rare shows that keeps you coming back for more. And he drops multiple episodes a week so you never have to wait long. Last week, Jordan sat down with investing legend Ray Dalio for a two-part look at what makes a successful investor. It's full of great advice, interesting anecdotes, and information that can help you level up. If you like Future Hindsight, 
I think you'll like The Jordan Harbinger Show too. Search for The Jordan Harbinger Show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also find the show at jordanharbinger.com. So clearly you won the election or the candidate that you fielded won the election in 2017. We actually played a really interesting strategy with the town election. For us, it wasn't going to be as simple as just, oh, here are the Democrats, go vote for those people. The party had just lost in a, in a pretty abysmal way. And I think people had, had lost faith in the party. And so what we wanted to do was reach out to people beyond the activist type. We wanted the people who maybe weren't as motivated previously to go out and get involved, but who saw our group as a group of people who were level-headed and were going to work for the issues that they cared about. And so we decided to take a little bit more of a nonpartisan stance in the election and just educate everyone. We held some of the largest debates for the commissioners and for the mayoral candidates. We produced a 10 or 12 page pamphlet, which we distributed to almost all of the likely voters in the town. And we were producing hundreds, if not thousands of these things and distributing them to everybody. And the town had the highest voter turnout that we had ever seen, at least in, in recent memory. And the people who ended up getting elected, I think all but one of them were registered Democrats or unaffiliates when we started preparing for the 2018 election for the state house and state senate. What we found is that our efforts tripled the amount of money we had in the bank and grew our membership to, I think it was almost 120 or 150 at the end of that town election. And that became our base of supporters, which we were then able to further multiply as we got ready for the next election. Wow, this is very labor intensive. Not everyone is going to do what you did. As an everyday person, what are two things I could be doing if I wanted to participate in party building and power building for everyday people in the way that you did? Yeah, so I think the first thing to do is try and ask yourself, what is it that you want to accomplish? Figure out what skills you've got that you could possibly bring to your desires and then Go about finding systems that might already be in place within your community that match those two things. And if that doesn't exist, then there might be an opportunity for you to make something. So I think the first thing you must do is your survey of sorts, figure out what's already there, see if there's already something that you can plug into, because that's obviously going to be the path of least resistance. But if you don't find something within your community that fills the need that you see, where you're going to be able to, to add to it in a meaningful way, then there's an opportunity for you to make something. Good advice. What have you learned that pleasantly surprised you about being active in local politics? The thing that I, I was most surprised about was I had always had this vision in my head that the Democratic Party or, or political institutions in general were this behemoth organization, almost arcing back to like the New York and Philadelphia, you know, political machines and I had this vision in my head that the local political groups in my community who were fielding these candidates and supporting people, that these democratic groups were these all-powerful organizations that no Republican dare cross. And that just turned out not to be the case. And while there, there definitely is some of that, it doesn't normally exist at the local level. And when that's the case, to become a player within that structure really does not take as much as you might imagine. We have a saying within some of the local organizing that 90% of the battle is just showing up. So if you want to become a leader within the party structure at, at any level, as long as you're showing up, 
you're going to see where the need is. You're, you'll see what it is that, that, that you can help out with. You'll see where there's opportunities to make something better. You'll be shocked how quickly you'll be invited into the fold. And you can have a major impact simply by showing up. For me, it was stunning to find the barrier to entry was that low. I was hopeful that when all these bad things were going on in, in, in our community and Democrats were getting wiped out in an election or a local Republican was doing something kooky, that there was a, a Democratic machine out there that was going to set it right. And that's just not the case. We've seen that play out at the national level to the point where people might roll their eyes once they hear me say that, like, of course there isn't. But at the time when I got involved, I, I had the impression that there was. And since then, I've definitely seen that it's, it's really just all about showing up. You were vice chair of the National Council of College Democrats. How did you get there? And in what way has that experience on a national level informed your organizing and the way that you view politics today? Yeah, for me, the national level stuff was really a great window into the broader party across the country. But to answer your, the first part of your question, once I started the local precinct organization uh, in my community, I began to figure out who some of the other players are within not only my community, but within the state. But at one point, I, I got the opportunity to become the vice president of the uh, North Carolina College Democrats. And from there, I was able to serve a, a term as a vice president uh, at the North Carolina level. And at a certain point, I decided that I thought I could take some of the things that, that we had accomplished um, at the local level and, and at the state level and, and take those up to the national level. From there, was able to hold a position as the national secretary and then uh, later on as the national council vice chair. Those terms that I served on the national board of the College Democrats America was a really eye-opening experience, in part because I got to meet young people who were equally passionate about politics and seeing change in their local community. But I also had the opportunity to partner up with the DNC. We had a dedicated staffer who worked with the College Democrats. We had access to uh, DNC social media resources and, and the like, and there was some funding there as well from the National Party. And with that, we were able to, to organize our chapters all across the country, help them get involved in campaigns in their area or get internships in DC. The validity that came from being at that level within the organization gave me access to rooms that I would have never had access to and, and having chances to develop relationships with people who who I would have never imagined I'd have a chance to talk to. To harken back to what I was saying earlier, a lot of this was just about showing up. You know, you show up, you're involved, you know, have some good ideas, encourage others to get involved, get out there and work. Don't be afraid to get sweaty knocking on doors. And really anybody can find themselves in these positions just by being active and, and being a part of a system that the sky is really the limit on where you want to take your political involvement, whether you want it to stay local you know, if you want to do state stuff or if you even want to take it national, the Democratic Party is truly a big tent party. And there are opportunities for people to get involved in all different levels of the system. And the more you show up and the more you're active in it, the more you're going to be asked to help at it at a higher level. Yeah, so true. So I have a question about what you're doing now. I hear that you are a Biden delegate. And my first question about that is, what does it mean to be a delegate? Yeah, so this is a great question and, and something that even a lot of my friends ask me all the time. Essentially, we select a nominee at the national level, which everyone's familiar with. You see the four days of primetime television, convention speeches, you know, to an auditorium of 60,000 people. But those people who are in the crowd, who have the, the signs on the long poles that, that say the name of their state, 
those are part of a delegation from each of the states. Um, so each state has a Democratic Party. And in that Democratic Party, that state is given a certain number of slots, a certain number of people they're allowed to send as part of their delegation. And it's generally based on the amount of, of Democrats that are in their state. They then travel to wherever the convention is held, and um, they all have the opportunity to vote on who the party nominee is going to be for the national presidency race. So in this case, as a Biden delegate, I'm pledged to the vice president. I was selected uh, at the state level by the state party and by the Biden campaign to be what we call a PLEO delegate, which is a party leader or elected official. So we have 12 of those in North Carolina. Essentially, the state party and the campaign pick out who they want those 12 people to be, who are either party leaders or who are elected officials. And then at our state convention, all the delegates come together and vote to approve uh, the people who have been nominated by the campaigns and by state party, then sent off to the DNC as the list of voting people from North Carolina. And we then represent the interest of the North Carolinians who cast their ballots. And as I said earlier, I'm a Biden delegate, so I represent the portion of people in North Carolina who voted for Vice President Biden. And then there are also people who represent the portion of North Carolinians who voted for Senator Sanders. And then from that, we're able to go to the convention and cast our votes as we are pledged. What a process. How exciting. Well, you know, Democrats, we love we love our committees and we love our processes. <laughs> <laughs> well, my last question is, looking into the future, what makes you hopeful? Something that I've been really impressed by in particular, and, and we'll check my bias at the door here, but the Biden campaign recently put out the results of their committees that they had put together to work on various issues and essentially come up with the general election platform. I think something that Joe Biden has done a good job about is recognizing that, that it's not necessarily him that we're voting for, it's the change that we're voting for. We're voting for the policies that his government would implement. It's the juxtaposition between what he and his future administration would represent and would have to offer to what we're getting from the current administration. He created these committees that had adamant Joe Biden supporters. You could call them moderates within the party. And you know the other half were, were, were the more progressive members of our party, our AOCs and our, our Bernie Sanders. And those committees came together on six core topics and were able to say, okay, this is what our platform is going to be for this election. And I think they were able to look at it from a lens of, okay, what is actually possible? What can we accomplish now? What can we run on that we think we can actually implement if Joe Biden is elected? There's a lot of people who see Joe Biden as a moderate Republican in hiding. As we go through this election, I think we're going to hear a lot about what Joe Biden's position actually is. I think the vision is going to be a, a vision of unity within our party and a vision of a very progressive policy stance that I think everyone within our party can be happy about and can be proud of. And I'm excited to see that Joe Biden was willing to take his ego out of the picture and say, I don't have all the answers. I care more about unity here than being consistent with what I've been saying, that I'm willing to shift my positions and shift my ideas in favor of party unity because we are not going to win this against Donald Trump if we think that we can just get one portion of our party to go out and vote. We need everybody. That's the only way that we're going we're gonna to beat back the evil that we are seeing in this country. Well said. Thank you very much for being on Future Hindsight, and thank you for the tremendous work that you're doing within the Democratic Party. Well, thank you. I really appreciate it. And I hope everybody who's listening will feel motivated to go out and, and do something in their community because we truly cannot 
accomplish the goals that we want to accomplish unless everybody is jumping in the fight with us. We are all in this together and you know, we all have to play a part in making the world that we want. This was definitely one of my most upbeat and hopeful conversations this year. Drew is so enthusiastic, it's infectious. But he's also clear-eyed about what it takes to build a deep bench of candidates starting at the local level, and also why that's important. There's no question that engaging young people and supporting them in leadership positions early on will pay off in the long run. As a society, we want young people to embrace public service and to be involved in solving the issues that face our communities. I'm personally a big believer that there are no shortcuts in life, so I'm especially heartened that this kind of grooming will yield experienced hands in government from the local level all the way to the top. And finally, Drew reminds us that the barriers to being engaged are low. Indeed, we should all heed his advice and show up. Engage with democracy. It matters. Next week, our guests are Theda Scotchpole and Caroline Turvo. Together, they edited Upending American Politics, Polarizing Parties, Ideological Elites and Citizen Activists from the Tea Party to the Anti-Trump Resistance. Theda is Professor of Government at Harvard University, where Caroline is a research editor. We rely on national surveys, that pose questions to disconnected people all over the country and then add up the results by race or gender or whether people are liberal or conservative. But it doesn't tell us very much about the capacity of various kinds of people to work together to affect an outcome. So we, in our work, start with the idea that looking at the connections, the networks among people, looking at organized groups that sustain their efforts over time, that that's the best way to get a handle on what's likely to happen. We'll be focusing on grassroots organizing on the right and the left and how these groups impact politics on the state and national levels. Until next time, stay engaged. I'm Mila Atmos. Thank you for continuing to listen to Future Hindsight. Our executive producer is Mila Atmos, The audio producer is Peter Fedak, and our associate producers are Miriam Zumbul and Brooke Sayan. Be sure to listen to us on Apple Podcasts, futurehindsight.com, or wherever you enjoy podcasts every week. Please join our civics club at patreon.com backslash futurehindsight to be a part of the conversation. This podcast is part of the Democracy Group.